0: Go ahead and set your Bible mark for John 15. John 15. Good morning. Good morning. I already said hi to most of you, but if I didn't say hi, I did. Hi. Howdy. That's right. Okay. So, over the past two weeks, we've been looking at this uh, broader definition of what obedience is. We're not making... Like I said, not a full dissection of every last and little command. Instead, we're kind of looking at some of the pure motivations and the pureness of obedience to God. And so we learned first that true and authentic obe- obedience is not something that you know we do cheaply. It's not something that we offer to God that's cheap. It's something that's authentic, that's pure, that is everyday sacrifice that we give to God. It's not something meaningless, not something we do at certain times, specific places, right? And then last week we looked at some of the consequences and some of the cost of obediences. And kind of learned from that passage, you know, with three words, and that is count the cost. And we looked at why we need to count the cost. You know, that our, our obedience to God, if it's true, and if it's real, it's going to cost us our sin. It's going to cost us some of our relationships, and it's even going to cost us our own lives, both metaphorically, maybe even literally. And then today I want to look at where we left off, because we kind of, was last week was a little bleak, kind of was, but I kind of left off on a little higher note, and that higher note is hope or joy, I would say, and I want to know, and we, it's kind of cool that we kind of looked at this in Bible class with, you know, with Ray, and he kind of had a very similar message to what I have today, and I kind of want to look at what keeps us going, you know, when you look at this path, what keeps us going on this path of obedience, this direction, what motivates our devotion? What sustains our faith and what ultimately is going to produce fruit in our day-to-day lives that we carry out to the people around us? Um, And what's going to empower us? Empower us to sludge ahead on this hard path that God has given us to walk? And what is going to drive us, like I said, in this direction of obedience to God, despite trial, despite temptation, despite every test, and despite every tyranny and every terror? How are we going to keep walking? All right. So John 15. I am the true vine. That's what Jesus says. John 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. This is Jesus. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. And already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, it is he that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches, they are gathered, they are thrown into a fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And by this, my Father is glorified that you may bear fruit. And in doing so, prove that you are my disciples." And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, so abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the Word of God. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for the truth that is in it. Tune our hearts to your grace and to your truth, Lord. Uh, Help us to pay attention and to fix our eyes on the perfecter of our faith. Amen. You know, I love football. I love football. And this is a hard, hard day for me. And I'm really relying on the Cowboys tonight. <laughs> the versus the New York Stinking Giants. But anyways, in the spirit of football season, I wanted to lead our lesson in with football. This is cheesy, I know, but I I promise it makes sense. I've played football, I've watched football, I've helped coach football, I have worked within football programs and organizations, and if you know anything about football, you know that it is one of the most physically and mentally demanding sports in the world, particularly here in this country, and uh, simply put, I would call it a grind, right, football is a grind, and one of my favorite stories about a football grind, a football story, is about an old football player. It's about to get cheesier. <laughs> His football player was a walk-on for Notre Dame back in the early 70s. And I think you already know, but is a guy by the name of Dan Rudiger, or Rudy as they call him. You've probably seen the movie. One of my favorites. You have to see it if you haven't. Seriously. And let's just say that back then, and it still is now, Notre Dame was a very prominent, prestigious football program. The best of the best played at Notre Dame. That's when they won a lot of championships. So it's really hard to make the team because the demand uh, the demand is everything uh, for a program like that. And so what's going to happen is there's going to be tryouts and practices, and what's going to happen is that there are going to be evaluations made on every player, okay? Rosters are going to be cut. They're going to be trimmed. Every single player, like I said, is going to be personally evaluated on one thing, and that's their productivity. Their productivity, how good they are and what they can give and add to the team. And so the story depicts Rudy's grind to make the team. Rudy was super undersized, like 5'9". He was, he was weak. He was, not, he was not actually even a great athlete. So for him, it demanded even the extra, extra mile in order to make the team with his grit and determination. And throughout Rudy's story of making the team, you really notice what's behind his grit and determination because while grit and determination may be behind your success, there's something even deeper, something at the core of your grit and determination. Because Rudy's not going out there, and a football player is not going out there just to go out there to practice and get himself killed. He doesn't do it without reason, that'd be nonsense. And he's not going to be a slave that's obedient to the game for nothing, okay? So at the root of his core, there was something more that motivated him and kept him alive inside. See, Rudy had this deep, ingrained belief, first and foremost. And he had a life story, and he had events and experiences in his life that propelled him to where he was. And also, he found a way to actually fall in love with the process of getting there. And then lastly, he knew that there was a great reward at the end, and surely enough, if you watch the movie, it was it's one of the greatest football experiences you could have ever ever seen in your life. And this one thing that Rudy had was joy. He had joy the whole time. That's what kept him going. And so in this text, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of work through the scripture in the same way. Because there is a demand and there is an evaluation made upon you as Christians. There is a demand and there is an evaluation made for you. And you may find it that it's too much, and it is too much. But what we're going to see is that the words of Jesus in verse 11, conclude with a source for said determination. And so back to the text. This is a very simple text. This is probably one of the easiest statements that Jesus has to make. I am the vine, you are the branches. It's very self-evident. So it's not, it doesn't necessitate a lot of dissection. We don't have to look to in this too deeply. It's just Jesus' I am statements. If you know anything about the I am statements, that's when Jesus really gives out, hey, I'm God. And I'm the Savior of the world. And so this really this text revolves around who Jesus is, but it doesn't revolve just around who Jesus is, but it revolves around who you are as a follower of Jesus, as a branch, as part of the vine. And so in verse five, we'll go ahead I'm going to go verse by verse here. In verse five, it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he that bears much fruit, and apart from me you can do nothing if anyone does not imbide within me, he is thrown away like a branch and he withers. And the branches are gathered, they are thrown into the fire, and they are burned. And if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. So what this passage is saying is we are all like extensions of God. We are all branches that come off this central vine, like branches off a tree that flood out and spread out into the rest of the world and that offer the world something good, okay? So it's very clear that we... We, as Christians, our root, our core being from Jesus, our sustenance and order and life in the middle of chaos, confusion, and death. That's what this world offers. And the ultimate point of the scripture lies within this word remain or abide. Your, my passage, I think, says abide. Your passage may say remain. Some of your passages may say continue. Um, and so. Abiding meaning to have a sound faith that produces fruit. That's what abide means, to continue in faith that produces good fruit. A trust and a firm the God of the universe that's so firm that you are going to pretty much naturally produce this good fruit. And Jesus would say, and the rest of the Bible would actually say that apart from a faith that produces obedience, it is impossible to please God. Faith plus obedience helps to please God. And so how do we defer between those with true And not true faith. Like anything, we make evaluations. We test something's worth and we test something's value and its trueness by its productivity. And so on Judgment Day, God is going to evaluate man upon what he has done. And you're already thinking, well, I thought God evaluated us on Judgment Day based upon faith. Yes, ultimately he does. But how does God evaluate faith? He evaluates faith if it is true, if it is genuine, based upon the fruit that said faith produced. So, that's how Christ judges the sincerity of his followers. And that's what he says in John 15. Verse 8 says that, By this my fathers glorify that you may bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples by your fruit. So, can, these, can this be any clearer? This is, so, this is such a simple passage. And I don't think these words need more explaining. So, how do I prove myself as a disciple? How do I glorify God? I produce. I produce good fruit. I maintain my obedience. I walk with the Lord. I continue on this this this, this straight and narrow path. And I think that these certain characteristics. Ask yourself: Are there certain characteristics about my person, about my work, and my fruit, that help point to something that's within? Someone, Jesus, and something that is your faith, that is at the root of your existence. Verse 9 and 10 says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, so abide in my love. And if you keep in my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. Again, abide, remain, continue. What did he say, continue in? He says continue in love. And what love is, is the fulfillment and the summary and the containment of every command and every form of obedience to God. Love for God, love for people, and so fulfill the commands of God, so fulfill the law of God. And he's saying, that's what you do. That's your good fruit as you obey. Obedience is the fruit of faith and the fruit of being a disciple of Jesus. And so, what maintains and sustains it all? Verse 11 says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So our focus and our answer is joy. Super easy passage, right? And without this verse, everything that we have read and everything that we have talked about up until this moment is too difficult to complete. Is it not? Can you perfectly obey? No. Are you very good at walking with God all the time? No. You're not very faithful. God says be faithful, but let's face it, we're not the most faithful people in the world. And so I want to look at how do we keep going regardless, knowing that grace does make up for where we do fall short because obedience and faith this abiding and this remaining it's hard it's hard it's a refinery it's a grind and it is a constant this obedience is a constant battling against forces in this world both seen and unseen you're battling against something and the truth is you cannot win without joy you cannot win without joy and to be honest i wonder not only can you not win i wonder if it's impossible without joy how do i abide successfully How do I abide successfully while fighting an addiction? Or how do I, how am I supposed to abide in life in a world that is naturally set against me because of my faith? Or how can I possibly still trust in God when I get sick? Or how can I trust in God and how can I still walk faithfully with God when he takes away someone I love? All right. At the worst. Because sin's hard to avoid. Sin's hard to avoid. Satan is hard to defeat. And death is... Practically inevitable, right? So how do I win? What gives me, what provides me with the determination I need to obey, abide, and remain to run the race, as Paul says. Matthew Henry was an 18th century theologian, and he he has a great quote that he had in one of his books. And he says that holy joy will be the oil to the wills of our obedience. Holy joy will be the oil to the wills of our obedience. It's like saying holy joy will be the WD-40 to my messed up doorknob or my, my car door, whatever's wrong with it fixes anything, okay? That's what he's saying. And so ultimately, I think there are three ways to classify joy. There are three derivatives of joy. And it's easy to remember. I want you to take notes if you can. It's just a one, two, three kind of deal. And we can classify joy through matter of time. We can classify joy by past, present, and future what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do. That's where we find joy. So you probably have not exactly any idea what I'm talking about, but I can promise you that you will grasp a, an understanding of these joys that I'm talking about. And then, by the way, they have everything to do with salvation doctrine. If you can grasp these, grasp these, they will nurture you, they will comfort you, they will encourage you, they will motivate you, they will propel you into a much deeper faith that produces good fruit and the good fruit of obedience with God. So number one is this. Mark this down or throw it in your mind real quick. The first joy that we derive is we derive it from the past. We derive joy from the past. In theological terms, I want to say that this is the joy of justification. Okay? Think about a single event in your life that still creates unexplainable, unshakable, and undeniable joy. Who in here still finds joy in their wedding day? More of y'all better be raising your hand. Y'all going to be in trouble when y'all get home. But. But seriously, in the same way, we are supposed to derive this unexplainable joy from the day we married into the body of Christ, right? That's where we get our first joy from. This is the joy of justification. Justification meaning, I know that's a big theological word, but it's an important one. It just means that the day, the moment, the very second... That you were saved, that you were watched, that you were declared as innocent and as holy before the God of the universe. That's what he means. And so, the day that by grace through faith, you gave yourself up to the only one who could bring you from death to life. The day of justification. And you were spared the judgment of God because God himself took the judgment for you in your place. And he said, and if you trust in that, right, we know that we are not just, we don't even just have a right standing. We're not just justified before God. But like we mentioned earlier in Bible class, you have relationship with God too. Both right standing and relationship. And I want you to understand that that's something we have joy in. Psalm 35, verse 9, King David says that, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. My soul shall rejoice in his salvation that he has given to me. Okay. Or just as, almost just as good, I think, as uh I'm quoting way too many hymns lately, but Horatio Spafford, a man, a man that had probably the hardest, harder life than anybody in here, lost pretty much his entire family in a tragedy, he penned these words the moment he found out, like within hours of finding out about his family's tragedy, he said, My sin, O the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. What does that sound like? That sounds like joy despite the chaos and despite death. Joy in something that happened to him one time in the past that permeates through the rest of his life. So when I say the joy, I guess the joy of the past and the joy of justification, that's exactly what I mean. Realize what is freely given to you. Realize what you have. And I promise you that it can help you walk this earth much more fluidly. To me, I think about the fact that despite this world is going to be certain hurts, I'll never have to suffer the forever eternal hurt of being separated and condemned by my God forever. Gives me a little bit of joy. It gives me a lot of joy. Instead, I get to walk with him in a process, which leads us to our second, our second joy. And this is the joy that we derive from right now here in the present. The joy of sanctification. Another big theological word. That's very important for us to understand. And so what do you mean? Go back to football. So we have a football player, and there are multiple things that play into his commitment and into his grit and his determination. And anyone who has ever been a good athlete can attest to the process of becoming a great athlete. It's a demand, right? It takes obedience to the game. Coaches, My coaches always told us that we have to learn to not just fall in love with winning, but we have to fall in love with the process. We have to learn to fall in love with the work itself, that rep by rep, lift by lift, and hit by hit, we are beginning to love the game more and more and more. So that sustains us. And the Christian life of obedience is the same way. Because did you know? Did you know that the Christian life of obedience is not supposed to be easy? In fact, if you can say that I have never had any rocky areas in my life, that are because of my Christianity, that is probably a good sign that we're probably not living very obediently, right? Right? I'm pretty sure it is, I think it's Paul who says that everybody who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. There are going to be trials, and there are going to be temptations, and there are going to be tests that are going to actively come, and they were going to push against you. They are going to push against you. And all of that really is a process, it is a refinery, it is a lifelong process, it is a marathon race, as Paul says, that begins the day you were born again. Philippians 1, 1.6, one of the greatest promises of God, he says that he who began a good work, meaning who, he who justified you, he who began a good work in you is going to carry it on through the rest of your life until the day of Christ Jesus. So if God begins a good work in you, do you think he's going to finish it? you think God's going to fail that promise to sanctify you and to give you joy in that process? God is not going to fail. And so day by day and brick by brick and trial by trial, God is crafting you and he's molding you by the power of his Holy Spirit that he gives you for your sanctification. And like the passage says, he's pruning the branches and he's clearing the weeds and he's watering you and he's giving you nutrients. And he's giving you the sun and he's giving you all these wonderful things that you can be complete within the mind that you can be complete in the vine by bearing good fruit, right? You people in here are undergoing the greatest single process in the history of the world. You are being morphed into something incredible. And so you're supposed to take joy in that because you should take joy in the fact that I am being molded into being prepared for heaven and to be prepared for eternity. And so regardless of the consequences and the cost, God is what? God is working and he is building and he's molding you into a masterpiece. You are God's work of art. And in this process, in this process of day to day, I want you to be able to taste what is going to be given to you. I find this most often when I'm in the Word or when I'm in prayer in the morning, but I can there said it's, it's I can't really put it in words, but there is this taste. There's this goodness in God that I cannot explain with my mouth. And I think David says the same thing. He says in Psalm chapter 19, verses 7 through 11, he says that the law of the Lord is perfect. It refreshes my soul. It says the statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. God's commands give joy. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. It says that the decrees of the Lord are more precious than gold much pure gold and that they are sweeter that the commands of God and walking in obedience in this process of sanctification says it is sweeter than the honey from the honeycomb it says by them your servant is warned and in keeping them there is great reward in keeping them now there is great reward there's great joy now and the reward the sweetness we're going to kind of end on this the sweetness this joy culminates in our third joy Joy number three is joy that we derive from the future. And this is the biblical doctrine of glorification, I should say. This is the joy of glorification. This is the finality. This is the final thing that happens to us. Is one day you're going to be glorified. You're going to be made perfect, and you're going to be given an immortal body. And you're going to be raised from the dead physically, not just spiritually, but raised from the dead physically to everlasting life. And that's why Paul says that you need to finish the race, because there is something at the end. Something that you can see, that you can see just a glimpse of, and he says that is the crown of life for the one who endures, for the one who maintains faith in God. So I want you to picture this so I get an idea of this better. Imagine the most—and by the way, this is actually—this is not my analogy. This is not my allegory. This is actually one of my favorite preacher's allegories that he uses. And he says that the most—or I want you to picture this anyways— The most mundane, the most monotonous, the most worrisome job ever. Some of you are like, I'm working it right now, dude. And this is just the most repetitive, the most boring, the most seemingly unsatisfying work you could ever imagine. And now picture that there are two different men. And both are working at this awful job, and they are both tasked with working this job for three years, and there's no getting out of it. They can't get out of it. They have to do it. They're under contract. And we're called the first man, Bill. And let's say Bill knows that at the culmination of his three years, he's going to receive a salary of $30,000, which is a terrible salary for working three entire years. You could make more than that working minimum wage for three years. So that's practically enough. And so knowing that he's going to receive this measly reward, if we can even call it a reward, I think it's actually an offense. How do you think Bill is going to work, knowing what's at the end? Bill's not going to work very hard, is he? Bill's not going to try very hard. Bill is going to go through the motions every day. Bill is going to just die for work to end every day. Bill is going to work up just dreading the next 24 hours. And Bill is going to be unsatisfied in his work, and he's going to be wanting to do everything to get out of this job that he cannot get out of. Let's picture our second man. Let's say my friend Jack here has this works at the same job, and at the culmination of his job, he's going to be paid thirty million dollars, and he knows it—thirty million. How do you think Jack is going to work for the next three years? He's going to work with diligence and he's going to work with care and he's going to make the most of every second. He's going to wake up every day excited for the workday he's going to be absolutely thrilled and satisfied in his work and he wouldn't trade his job for any other job in the world because what? Because he can see and because he knows that there is a promise at the end of the finish line. So does knowing what's at the end affect your life now? Knowing what's in the past, knowing what's in the present, but really what's knowing at the end affects how you live today. Knowing what comes at the end, right? So do you have this joy of obedience that I'm talking about? This ultimate joy that awaits you? You know, most of us, a lot of us in here, not me, not most of us, a lot of us are in our advanced years, in our wiser years. Up there, oh yeah, it's nice I I, I, I will sugarcoat that 100%. I'll sugarcoat much, but you... A lot of y'all in your advanced years, and a lot of you have seen a lot more, and you have been through a lot more than I have, and you can attest to this a lot more. You've been, invariably, different amounts. You have been through pain, loss, and struggles. You've been through hurts, habits, and ups, and you've seen disease. You've had disease. You've seen poverty. You've been in poverty, and you've and you've seen death, and you're getting closer to it as well. What keeps you going? What's your source of grit and determination to keep walking obediently with God? Because nothing else but cosmic joy, holy joy, is going to make you do that. This promise at the end, right, that there is going, you're going to wake up a day. You're going to close your eyes on earth, and you're going to wake up in the presence of your God with no pain, no trials, no death. In fact, the Bible says that those things are swallowed up and they're thrown away. Ray talked about that earlier in Bible class. It says that you, each one of you, gets to enjoy the presence of the God of the universe. The presence of the Son of God who justified you in the past. The presence of the Holy Spirit who sanctifies you in the present. And the presence of the Father who will glorify you on the last day. gives me joy. I hope it gives you joy. So I'll end with 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 through 55. Probably the top three greatest chapters in the Bible, I think. It says, listen, I tell you a mystery that we not we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. It says that in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will raise imperishable, and we will have changed. It says that the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. It says when the perishable have clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. The last prophecy of the Old Testament that death has been swallowed up in victory and where, old death is your victory and where, of death is your sting. You get victory over that. I think it should give you joy to walk right now in obedience. So remain or abide, continue, obey. Count the costs like we said last week. Count the loss like we said last week. But This week I say count the reward and count the joy. Of your obedience let's pray so our father god who's in heaven god who will glorify us on the last day we thank you for what you have done for us that you have justified us and made us whole and pure and i thank you that you have sanctified us and you sanctify us day by day to mold us more into the image of your son to draw us deeper into relationship with him and to make us more and more like him and i thank you for what is to come and the great reward and the great joy that is being in your presence fully and completely, and to know you totally. Help us to walk in obedience and to not treat your commands cheaply, to not treat your commands as something that's not worth doing every moment of our lives, but to treat them really to treat our own lives as an offering of obedience, as living sacrifices. And help us to remember also to count the cost of that. We know that there will be pushback. But despite the pushback and despite the difficulty, Lord, you give us joy. Fill us with your joy that we may walk continually with you. I thank you. All these things. Thank you for all of it. And I pray all of it in the name of Jesus, to our Father, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm-hmm.